This is Christ the King Sunday. It's the last Sunday of the uh, liturgical year. And it's the time when we remember that Christ is indeed Lord of all and that Christ is coming again in glory. Amen? Amen. All right. Well, now we're going to take a look in these scriptures that talk about Jesus when he appeared before worldly powers. We're taking this from the 18th chapter of John. Jesus is, has been dragged before Pontius Pilate. And they're calling for his crucifixion. Pilate then went back inside the palace, summoned Jesus, and asked him, Are you the king of the Jews? Is that your own idea, Jesus asked, or did others talk to you about me? Am I a Jew? Pilate replied. Your own people and chief priests handed you over to me. What is it you have done? Jesus said, my kingdom is not of this world. If it were, my servants would fight to prevent my arrest by the Jewish leaders. But now my kingdom is from another place. You are a king then, said Pilate. Jesus answered, you say that I am a king. In fact, the reason I was born and came into the world is to testify to the truth. Everyone on the side of truth listens to me. And then from the beginning of that last book in the Bible, the book of Revelation. Very good. John writes, Grace and peace to you from him who is and who was and who is to come. And from the seven spirits before his throne and from Jesus Christ, who is the faithful witness, the firstborn from the dead and the ruler of the kings of the earth. To him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood and has made us to be a kingdom and priests to serve his God and Father to him be glory and power forever and ever. Amen. Look, he is coming with the clouds, and every eye will see him, even those who pierced him, and all peoples on earth will mourn because of him. So shall it be. Amen. And now let us join together in the uh, memory verses on the front of your bulletin. From Proverbs 11.25, and let's stand. A generous person will prosper. Whoever refreshes others will be refreshed. Proverbs 11.25. And now let us pray our church prayer together. Father, unleash the power of the Holy Spirit to bring spiritual breakthrough in my life, in our church family, and in our community. Fill us with humility, unity, and passion. Let your kingdom come and your will be done. And may the name of Jesus be held in high honor in all that we say and do. And indeed, O Father, this is our prayer, that the name of Jesus Christ truly reflect the fact that he is our King and our Lord. 
Oh, Heavenly Father, inhabit our praise, inhabit these words that I speak, that Jesus Christ may indeed be glorified and be Lord of our lives. And we pray this in his name and for his glory. Amen. You may be seated. Okay, we're going to get this out of the way right now. We all love a winner, don't we? Okay, I want us all to stand up. I want us all to stand up. I want to turn to your neighbor and give a high five. Say, go Bucks! Okay, now that's out of the way, you may sit down. <laughs> but we do love a winner. We love earthly glory and achievement. Winning in sports, business, and politics opens doors brings wealth and power. You have the, the ability to order the world you way, the way you want it, or so you think. The church has often been tempted to grasp the reins of worldly power and order society the way we think God would want it to be. After all, we do pray the Lord's Prayer, Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven, and we think that we are God's instrument in ordering it just that way. You know, our motto, the church, is to love God and all people for the transformation of the world. The question is, how do we go about doing that? What are the instruments that we use? What are the powers on which we depend? You know, this outlook is nothing new. The Pharisees of Jesus' day believed that if all or even a sufficient number of Jews would obey God's law, then the Messiah would come. Not only would he rule the world with justice and righteousness, he would almost certainly have the Jewish people who were at that time a cultural backwater in the world, at least chief among the nations of the world, a most excellent arrangement. But now here Jesus is coming into his public ministry He's teaching from God, doing miracles, attracting crowds. But he isn't acting like the Messiah should. He's not reaching for any of the religious or political reins of power. In fact, Jesus' cousin, John the Baptist, was in the grip of worldly power. Herod the king had imprisoned John the Baptist for his preaching, and John was 
languishing there in the dungeon, wondering, looking out at the world, and he had messengers that would go back and forth and tell him what was going on. And he was wondering if Jesus was going to take this occasion to really assert himself. You know, he said that there was one coming with a winnowing fork in his hand. He's going to burn the chaff with unquenchable fire. Instead, Jesus is going around forgiving sins and healing people. So he sent a messenger to Jesus with this question. Are you the coming one or do we look for another? Now think about that question for a minute. To me, that sounds like put up or shut up. Are you the coming one, or should we look for somebody else? Jesus replies, go and tell John the things you have seen and heard, that the blind see, the lame walk, the lepers are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, the poor have the gospel preached to them, and blessed is he who is not offended because of me. In other words, I'm doing what I should be doing. Now, in fact, Jesus was tempted to use worldly means to make a divine difference, to transform the world. You know, both the second and third temptations that Jesus faced right after he was baptized, when, when he was in the wilderness, dealt with worldly fame and power. Satan tempted Jesus, go up to the pinnacle of the temple and throw yourself down so the angels will bear you up. In other words, make a big splash. Let people know that you have the power, that you have God on your side, that you can make it happen. A winner if there ever was one. People will love you. In the third temptation, Satan offered Jesus the kingdoms of the world if Jesus would just bow down for a moment and worship him. All the kingdoms of the world. Can you imagine what a difference you could make if all the kingdoms of the world were at your disposal? Eliminate poverty. Eliminate racism. Order things the way they should be. Let justice roll down like waters and righteousness like an ever-flowing stream. Organize it. Make it happen. You're the boss. You know, if anyone would know about the interface between politics and religion... It might be Lloyd John Ogilvie, a Presbyterian pastor from, of all places, Hollywood, California. But he served as chaplain of the U.S. Senate for eight years, and in reflecting on this uh, temptation, he wrote that Jesus was tempted to make religion political by seeking to achieve religious goals by aligning with the principalities and powers of this world. But what did Jesus come to do? 
What was Jesus' aim in coming to us? Jesus came to seek and save the lost through his death on the cross. For God, say it with me, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. This is what Jesus said about himself. It was the definition of his ministry. This is why he came. How tempting it would be to turn away from the self-sacrifice of the cross, take hold of the reins of power, and create the right political and social conditions in which everyone would be obedient to God. But the problem with us, dear people, is not the outward conditions of society, but the inward condition of our hearts. And that's what Jesus came to deal with. You know, a worldly outlook is nothing new. Again, the Pharisees thought that if enough Jews would obey God's law, then the Messiah would come. But Jesus called them whited sepulchers and blind leaders of the blind. You know, one of the things that they needed to do at this time of the Passover was keep themselves ritually clean so they could eat the Passover. But they showed their true colors when they hauled Jesus before Pilate. They wanted to be ritually clean and so they wouldn't enter Pilate's house, but they would drag Jesus in front of him for a mock trial, the Son of God. And they called for Pilate to use his political and military power to crucify Jesus. After all, you know, Jesus was popular with the crowd, so they didn't want to just take him out and stone him because that would have endangered their own lives and their own position. So they were going to use the power of Rome to do what they did not feel safe doing themselves. So to make Jesus liable to the death sentence, they told Pilate that Jesus' ambition was exactly their own to gain political power and influence. They told Pilate that Jesus was claiming to be the king of the Jews, and when Pilate asked Jesus if this is true, Jesus replies by asking, is that your own idea? In other words, have I ever said or done anything to make you think that I'm trying for worldly power, to challenge the authority of Rome or even yourself? And the answer to that was obviously no. Or did others talk to you about me? In other words, are they simply making up this case about me to cover their own evil intents. In fact, you know, the true reason the Pharisees were so offended at Jesus was because he did not set up a kingdom in opposition to Rome. 
If he would have done this and would have done miracles to bring the Jews out of Roman bondage like Moses brought the Israelites out of Egypt, they would have gladly made Jesus their king. They would have yielded to his authority. They would have fought for him against Rome, as they in fact later did under false leaders 70 years later. When Jerusalem was destroyed, Now, this is so often the temptation to manipulate personal political power for less than good intentions, to take shortcuts to ends we think are good but so often are compromised, poorly thought out, and even unholy. But Jesus told Pilate, my kingdom is not of this world. I want to go into that in a little detail. First of all, the kingdoms of the earth are indeed of the earth. As in Revelation 13, they arise out of the earth and the sea and they will pass away with them. But the holy city that comes down out of heaven from God is unchangeable, unmatched, and it's eternal in its glory. The kingdom of heaven is a kingdom within us, set up within our hearts. Its riches are spiritual. Its powers are spiritual. All of its glories are within us. And its powers are not worldly. Its weapons are spiritual. It neither needs nor uses political or military force to maintain and advance it. It does not threaten any secular government. As Jesus told Pilate, if my kingdom were of this world, my servants would fight to prevent my arrest by the Jewish leaders. But now my kingdom is from another place. Jesus' kingdom opposes only the kingdom of sin and Satan. And its subjects, though they are in the world, are not of the world. They are born from and bound for another place, another world. So this is the nature of the kingdom that Jesus is talking about. You know, the church has a role in advocating for a just society in which everyone has a fair chance at life. John Wesley and the Methodists had a large part in ending the slave trade in Great Britain and in educating the lower classes in order to give them a fair chance at life. But they never lost sight of this reality, that their primary purpose was the purpose of Jesus Christ, not to reform society, but to save souls. That salvation will never be found in politics or economics, and I say this as an economist, that's my bachelor's degree. It won't be found in winning the struggle for political power or influence or economic growth, but in that self-sacrificing love which reaches out to the world with the saving grace of Jesus Christ and building his kingdom. You know, our country today is in the midst of great social and cultural change. And it's so tempting 
to try to exert control over that change, to slow it down, to shift it to one side or the other. You know, many conservative Christian leaders backed Donald Trump's run for the presidency because they saw him as being willing to back their views on several social issues, like abortion and pointing conservative Supreme Court justices, along with attempting to slow this dramatic change in American culture and society. And some went so far as to say that Trump's election has given the church and the nation an opportunity to spark a great spiritual awakening. They believe a triumphant church establishing the kingdom of God on earth will set the stage for Christ's return. Does that sound familiar? Aren't they in the same line of thought as the Pharisees of old? In other words, the church should use worldly power to make society and individuals do what you think God wants them to do, creating the kingdom of God on earth. They embrace a dominionist theology that says God is preparing the faithful followers to rule the earth. In fact, one of them, Lou Engel of the International House of Prayer, said in Cleveland recently, we're called to rule, to change history, to be co-regents with God. You know, Jesus said to his disciples as they sat around the Last Supper, I have set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. Very truly, I tell you, no servant is greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. Now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. He said this in direct reference to the humility of washing their feet. But it's clear Jesus meant for us to follow his example in all things. So how then can we stoop to using political means to to attain kingdom ends? When Jesus said clearly, my kingdom is not of this world, and then went to the cross. In fact, those who seek the power and glory of this world may actually attain them for a while. But if you look to the back of the book, you will find that in the end they are deceived. The book of Revelation tells us that the real winner will be Jesus Christ, who is the faithful witness, the firstborn from the dead, and the ruler of the kings of the earth. Jesus is the only one who was raised from the dead by his own power, and he will by that same power raise from the dead all those who die in him and will be raised to everlasting glory. Jesus is also the King of kings, the Lord over all the rulers of the earth, whether they know it, whether they acknowledge it, or whether they don't. 
By him their power is limited, and their will is overruled. To him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood. Now in this world, Jesus was willing to be utterly defeated, slain on the cross, and his blood poured out so that his blood could wash away the stain of our sin, to blot them out from our record, to separate them from us as far as the east is from the west. And he has made us to be a kingdom and priest to serve God, his God and Father. And this is a kingdom not of this world which is passing away, but a kingdom not made with hands or won by armies, but created by the divine love of God eternal in the heavens. That is our aim. And that is our inheritance. Heaven is our goal. And Jesus is our glory. To him be glory and power forever and ever. Amen. Now one of my favorite songs is the song Days of Elijah. I don't know if you know it. But the chorus goes, Behold he comes, riding on the clouds, Shining like the sun at the trumpet call, so lift your voice. It's the year of jubilee, and out of Zion's hill salvation comes. That is what we long to see. That is the kingdom that is coming, and of which we long to be a part. A kingdom not of this world, eternal in the heavens. So, beloved, let us seek it. So the takeaway from this morning is simply this. That the role of Christians and the church is not to manipulate political systems or hope in the world or its rulers, but to love God, to save souls, and wait for the coming of the true winner, even Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Beloved, let's pray. Oh, Heavenly Father, we pray that this word would abide in our hearts, that this would be the lasting hope of our lives, that we look to Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior, and that we reach out into the world to save souls for him. And we pray this in his name. Amen.